Welcome to Episode 5 of Impact Medicom's podcast series on precision medicine and oncology. In this episode, hosted by Impact Medicom's Sarah Doucette, we welcome Dr. Charlene Gill, Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia and Medical Oncologist at BC Cancer in Vancouver. Dr. Gill specializes in the treatment of gastrointestinal malignancies and serves as the chair of the Canadian Clinical Trials Group GI Disease Site Committee. In addition, she is president-elect of the Canadian Association of Medical Oncologists and is editor-in-chief for the peer-reviewed journal Current Oncology. In this episode, Dr. Gill outlines the ideal standards for molecular testing in metastatic colorectal cancer in Canada and discusses strategies to improve pan-Canadian adoption of these standards. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, listeners, and welcome, Dr. Gill, to our Precision Medicine in Oncology podcast. So the focus of this podcast is obviously precision medicine, um, but this term can take on a lot of meanings depending on the person and the context. So can you tell us what does the term precision medicine mean to you in the context of metastatic colorectal cancer treatment? And how has the use of precision medicine evolved over the span of your practice? So thank you, Sarah. So, you know, um, you know, I'd speak to this from the context of my experience both as a clinician, so I treat, you know, GI cancers. I've been doing this, uh, this is year 19 for me. Um, and colorectal cancer is the dominant part of my practice, you know, just by, in terms of morbidity, right? These are the most common cancers that we see within the world of GI cancers. And my kind of experience as, as a, a researcher and a clinical trialist. So I think, I mean, precision medicine, uh, not unique to uh, colorectal cancer, but as a general term, is kind of an offshoot of what we used to talk about when I was in training, which was personalized medicine. So personalized medicine used to be this idea of, you know, the right therapy for the right patient at the right time. And at that time, it used to be underpinned by sort of an understanding of patient factors and disease factors. And we've moved very rapidly and encouragingly into an era where a lot of our understanding about cancer has is uh, informed through genetic and molecular profiling. So precision medicine or precision oncology in particular in 2021 is about trying to really improve that therapeutic index. So maximizing efficacy or effectiveness against uh, tolerability and toxicity. So minimal toxicity for uh, with maximal efficacy at using genetic and molecular profiling. And it, and that's not limited to tumor molecular profiling in an ideal state. That's also includes like pharmacogenomic profiling. So an understanding of how a patient will respond, like catabolize and metabolize that, that treatment uh, to inform risk of toxicity as well. So it's, it is about efficacy and toxicity optimization. And really, you know, this is where, Colorectal cancer, I would say, has emerged a bit slower to the landscape compared to other cancers, like, let's say, lung cancer, where um, from a disease standpoint, we are now kind of on the brink of really defining a number of actionable molecular subtypes that will guide sort of a truly targeted treatment approach. So, you know, it ha- you know, so that's, you know, that has been sort of an evolution. And I think I think today in my practice, there are, you know, clear examples of how the use of molecular profiling is informing how we treat 
you know, patients in my clinic with metastatic colorectal cancer. Okay. So yeah, you've talked about the benefit of uh, potentially molecular profiling um, to optimize treatment, but what do you think the standard for molecular testing should be right now in metastatic colorectal cancer across the country? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. It's an, it's a moving target, right? As we learn more, that standard changes. Uh, in 2021, I would say that sort of the key sort of molecular um, profiles or, you know, subtypes that are important to recognize because they do change practice are uh, the presence of tumor microsatellite instability, what we also refer to as high levels of microsatellite instability or deficient mismatch repair. In MCRC, you know, there's about a one in 20 chance that a tumor will have a, a profile of deficient mismatch repair, but we know that that has both prognostic and uh, value and predictive value in terms of the use of immunotherapy. Um, and I, and it also has value in terms of ascertainment for hereditary dispositions like Lynch syndrome. Uh, so, so that really, in my opinion, should be tested in all patients with colorectal cancer, irrespective of stage. In the metastatic space, then, you know, the other really important biomarkers are uh, biomarkers involved in the MAP kinase pathway. So specifically uh, looking for um, mutations in RAS. So th this includes KRAS and NRAS. And when we talk about extended RAS testing, we mean exons two, three, four. And, and RAS, you know, was probably the first actionable biomarker in metastatic colorectal cancer, you know, from almost a decade ago, where we recognized that this was a, um, a helpful predictive biomarker to determine whether or not a patient may benefit from an EGFR inhibitor type therapy. Um, and specifically, the presence of a RAS mutation actually precluded benefit. It was kind of, kind of a negative predictive biomarker, but important because it spares a scenario where you're, you're asking a patient to take a treatment that has toxicity, but from a molecular standpoint, they're unlikely to benefit. Uh, and if we fast forward now, you know, further downstream on that same MAP kinase pathway, uh, BRAF has become an important biomarker to test as a standard of care. We see that in maybe 7 to 10% of metastatic colorectal cancers. We've known for some time that that's a poor prognostic factor, but we now have... Um, a therapeutic sort of um, strategy around BRAF mutations uh, with the recent approval in Canada of a, a BRAF targeted therapy uh, and carafenib in combination with an EGFR inhibitor, cetuximab, you know, based on phase three trial that shows that this strategy does improve survival for patients who have BRAF mutated disease and have, you know, have already progressed on a prior line of therapy. So, you know, that would, that would be, I think that those are the standard of care absolutes in my mind, mismatch repair, RAS, BRAF. So in terms of, of testing, you've mentioned the biomarkers that should be tested, um, but is there a particular type of methodology for the testing or ideal turnaround time? Yeah, I think, you know, these are, uh, these are all the questions that, you know, we confront or we face when we're talking about sort of implementation of biomarkers into our, our practice. So, you know, type of testing, typically for mismatch repair testing, uh, that can almost always be done by immunohistochemistry. So immunohistochemistry is pretty straightforward, right? So that's something that our pathologists can do as long as they have sort of the antibodies available to test for it. And I think that's fairly uniformly done. The uh, RAS and BRAF testing uh, require is, is molecular testing, right? So that can either be done 
through single gene testing, which is still done in some jurisdictions where you're just looking for those, uh, or through um, sort of multiplex testing where you're using like NGS, next generation sequencing, and interrogating for those mutations along with a whole panel of others. In an ideal world, you know, I think we sort of say it would be nice to do the whole thing because, you know, we recognize that identifying potential other drivers uh, while uncommon might inform, you know, options for clinical trials, uh, options for novel therapies. You know, an example of that, I think, that has been uh, sort of the topic of some attention recently has been, you know, looking for certain fusions that can be targeted. So specifically, uh, NTRAC fusions, which have been identified to be an oncogenic driver, common in uncommon cancers, like things like infantile fibrosarcoma or secretory analog carcinoma of the breast, which is, you know, very uncommon, but but rarely found in common cancers. So in colorectal cancer, NTRAC fusions, you know, maybe two in a thousand, right? We know that we can maybe enrich, there's an enriched population in which the likelihood of finding NTRAC fusions may be greater. And that can help kind of rationalize, you know, give a rational approach to testing. So, you know, these are mutually exclusive of RAS. So you wouldn't do it in patients who have a RAS mutation. They seem to be enriched in deficient mismatch repair. So if you have someone who has deficient mismatch repair, RAS wild type disease, your likelihood of finding an NTRAC fusion, you know, goes up from two in a thousand to one in 20. And so those may be the patients you want to test. But if you're doing a panel that includes it, you don't have to like go through this sequential process. So what type of testing should be performed? I think ideally it would be a panel um, where you're testing multiple um, mutations. Um, The minimum testing, as I said, was, is still, you know, mismatch repair and RAS and BRAF. So going further into some of those, those other um, biomarkers, the emerging ones that are not necessarily standard in which scenarios should, should testing of those non-standard biomarkers be considered? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you kind of think about, you know, um, you have to ask yourself why you're doing the test. And so generally it has to be in patients for patients for whom you would offer them the treatment should you should that information you know become available and, and fit eligibility criteria. So so sort of the patient criteria would be someone who is you know fit to receive therapy or if you're thinking about a clinical trial would be motivated and willing to participate in a clinical trial. If someone is very unwell from their disease or has you know, compromised end organ function or multiple comorbidities, which would mean that you wouldn't be able to offer them palliative treatment, then it doesn't make much sense to test sometimes. Uh, so, so I think patient selection and discussion with patients is important. If we were in a scenario where this was done kind of reflexly, meaning if it was done at the time of diagnosis, we, you know, you would have all of that information available for every patient. But if we're if we are in a, in a world where we have to select patients, I think it's based on patients' capacity to be able to receive treatment. Um, and in terms of w- what you would consider uh, standard molecular testing, um, is, that, is that standard being met across Canada? Like, How would we assess uh, if all patients were being adequately tested? It's a very good question. You know, one of the, cha- one of the challenges in Canada is we have, we have universal health care, but we have you know, provincial governance of healthcare. So there are, there's variability in how each province approaches molecular testing. It's not unique to colorectal cancer, but 
you know, we've tried to educate, you know, we as a community of practitioners who treat patients with colorectal cancer, uh, educate one another on the importance of, uh, of testing, uh, have often tried to collaborate with industry for educational programs that raise awareness, especially when there's a, a treatment at the end of it that could help people live longer and live better, right? So, 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 one, so one is education. I, I think in Canada right now, in most pro- provincial jurisdictions that I'm aware of, the standard of testing for mismatch repair, RAS, and more recently BRAF is largely being met. I think there are very few jurisdictions where that testing is not available. Uh, the issue sometimes becomes, you know, how frequently are people being tested? Is everyone who's eligible for a treatment getting getting that test? And so the best systematic way to ensure everyone gets tested is that it's done in a reflex manner, meaning when a pathologist sees uh, a case and it's, it's colorectal cancer, uh, then automatically that triggers initiation for molecular testing, almost as part of that diagnostic workup. Um, I don't think we're there yet. And so uh, what happens is then that, that that's left to when a patient sees an oncologist. And so there can be variability in referrals, there can be variability by geography, depending on where patients live. And um, so, so I, you know, I think, I think there is always room for improvement. Um, I practice in British Columbia. I think we have been very fortunate from a molecular testing standpoint provincially, but even then we know that there is, you know, there is room for improvement. The second issue with reflex testing, and I'm going to kind of make a pitch for this again, that that help that would have, would be very helpful if that was the approach we adopted would is you know the turnaround time. So I see a patient in clinic for the first time with a new diagnosis of metastatic colorectal cancer, and uh, I'm trying to determine sort of what their initial treatment is going to be. If I have to then order the test first, if I have to order a panel and find out what is what is their tumor molecular profile, uh, depending on where the sample is, or especially if the patient might require a rebiopsy of their tumor, uh, that can be several weeks. And an ideal you know, turnaround time would be zero, meaning it would be at the time I see the patient, that result is already available. In the absence of that, it would ideally be kind of you know, within a week in my mind, because that's how soon you would want to make a decision. So, uh, so I think that that also, you know, it's, it's, it's having the testing available, having the testing done in the appropriate patients, and then having the result available in a timely manner, there are kind of many levels to us to that standard being met, that I think, you know, uh, we're trying to continue to, you know, work to improve for sort of all patients, irrespective of where they live in Canada. Mm-hmm. And do you see something like a Canadian uh, guideline for the treatment of, of colorectal cancer? Do you see that as being a benefit to try to kind of help these standards uh, be met across the country? So, you know, I think, you know, in Canada, we we often, we're, we're not, it's not, a, I will start by saying, it's not a huge community of practitioners who treat GI cancers, but they're, but colorectal cancer is very common. So there's a, a huge network of practitioners who may not, primarily treat GI cancers, right? So our colleagues in the in community practices who treat many different types of cancers. And for them, you know, my my whole my world, professional world is GI. So it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, this is what you know I'm familiar with in colorectal cancer. But if I had to treat many different types of cancers, uh, sometimes it's 
it's hard to always keep on top of that. Um, so, so guidelines definitely have a role to play in terms of trying to sort of set a standard and, and put it in the context of Canadian practice. Sometimes when Canadian oncologists look at guidelines that are based outside of Canada, let's say the U.S., there, there's a hesitation that that doesn't really reflect the context in which we practice within a publicly funded healthcare system. Colorectal cancer, you know, the last time there was a guideline, a sort of a, a consensus opinion, if you will, to look at uh, molecular testing in colorectal cancer was, was you know, more than 10 years ago. Uh, pr- again, primarily talking about KRAS testing at that time. So I do think, you know, given the recent advances in the treatment of metastatic colorectal cancer and what I said earlier about sort of improved molecular subtyping that's actually, you know, actionable, we have treatments available, you know, I think that there would be great value in having a document that articulates this is the current sort of standard of care based on the best available contemporary evidence. And can you describe, is is there a current plan for guidelines for metastatic colorectal cancer now, a Canadian set of guidelines? So, so those of us, again, who primarily treat GI cancers and have been, you know, working towards collaborating as both as oncologists who order the tests, if you will, and use that information and uh, academic oncology pathologists, you know, who are who who partner with us to do the testing to look at what is the opportunity here to do a guideline. I, you know, we have a, I'm going to say we have a, a a coalition of the willing. So there are, uh, we've come, to, we've put together a group of uh, of people as a steering committee with uh, sort of multi multiple uh, levels of support, I guess, from uh, from our industry partners as well to kind of bring that together. Uh, and come up with a consensus guideline about you know what molecular testing should be done. Also, the what type of testing. So this is you know really getting information from our pathologist. When is the best time to do the testing? Uh, what is the value of that testing? How does that inform treatment decision making? And so there is an effort underway. Um, we are uh, hoping to have a, a document that is published and readily disseminated, and something that can be you know cited to identify you know to help identify and clarify the current standard of care for, for metastatic colorectal cancer. I have one more question that I'll ask you before we end our discussion. I want it to be kind of like a forward-looking question, and that is uh, what emerging application of precision medicine in colorectal cancer are you most excited or hopeful for? I li- yeah, I like forward-looking questions. It's a good question. You know, I think it's it, it's interesting. When I, when I trained, Many, 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 many years ago, uh, you know, there was, we just had five or so. We had like one, one treatment available uh, for everyone, very empiric approach to doing that. And, um, and we also know that, you know, progress in metastatic colorectal cancer has not been sort of one single sort of treatment that has changed the landscape. It's been these slow incremental improvements that, you know, now lead to a reality where we have patients in our practice who are living much longer with metastatic colorectal cancer. And a lot of that recent advance has been through precision medicine. So really trying to lean in on these molecular subtypes. I think what what excites me from a forward-looking perspective is, is less so the subtype, but more how we test patients. So, you know, right now, when I when I request tumor testing, it's kind of looking at the cancer at a single snapshot in time. And often it's tumor-based testing. 
And, um, and that, and we often for both pragmatic reasons and reasons that have been supported by evidence will rely on whichever tissue we can get our hands on. So if it was someone had a colorectal cancer and their primary was removed five years ago, uh, and now they present with metastatic disease. If we still have access to that tissue from five years ago, then often that's what we will, will test because there was early data to say there's good concordance. But these are dynamic systems. And so getting a contemporary snapshot of what's happening with the cancer is exciting. It may actually, you know, you, you may see these changes, evolution changes over time in how the, the molecular profile of a cancer may change. Some things will not like mismatch repair, but other things may. Uh, and also, you know, as we develop resistance to treatments, you can track that resistance if you could do serial uh, molecular profiling and then potentially rechallenge patients with a, with a treatment once you see those resistant clones like disappear, decay over time. So how does how can we do that? We can't keep asking people to get new fresh biopsies, but the co- concept of liquid biopsies and circulating tumor DNA, looking at tumor-derived nucleic acids that may be floating in our in our blood that you could then, you know, subject to comprehensive genomic profiling. I think that's what I'm most excited about. I feel that, you know, our, our next leap forward is going to be trying to use real-time data on the molecular evolution of a cancer and adapt treatment accordingly. So, you know, I think that's a very emerging technology. There's a lot of interest in looking at liquid biopsies and circulating tumor DNA. Uh, And I think from a precision medicine standpoint, that's something that, you know, hopefully will really take us for that next leap forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much, Charlene, for sharing your insights. That was really interesting. And hopefully we can have you as a guest again in the future. And you can tell us that there's all these uh, kind of new new markers and new things being done uh, to help colorectal cancer treatment. Uh, so thanks again. Take care. Sarah.